Hi, friends and colleagues. It's Nikki from Full Voice Music. Today's podcast, episode 79, my guest is Liz Craig. Liz is a professional piano teacher and performer from Toronto, Canada. Today, our conversation is about knowing your rights. Liz is sharing some important employment details that all music professionals need to understand. So whether you are on stage, in the teaching studio, or hiring people to work for you, we have some valuable resources right here on the Full Voice Podcast. Welcome to the Full Voice Podcast, teaching strategies and resources for voice teachers working with young singers. Now here's your host, Nikki Loney. Welcome to the podcast, Liz Craig. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, I, uh, I'm very excited to talk to you today. Um, we're focusing on uh, knowing your rights as a self-employed musician. Um, and we're talking about some really important things that probably affect most of my listeners uh, when it comes to employment and employment opportunities. Now, before we dive into that, uh, I would love my audience to get to know a little bit more about you. Um, so please just give us uh, give us a little bit of uh, the Liz story, please. Originally, I'm from Winnipeg, Manitoba. I started music lessons when I was about nine. Um, my grandmother um, was a musician. She played in her church for over 50 years uh, for weddings and funerals and all kinds of things. And she sort of got my parents to give me that opportunity as well. Um, and I was very lucky that my first teacher was a huge inspiration to me. Uh, my first four years of lessons, she actually did kind of tell me, you know, maybe you can do this one day as your career and maybe teach, teach music. So um, throughout high school, I actually started teaching piano when I was 15. Um, started teaching group lessons and then some private students when I was 16. I auditioned for a bachelor of music program in, at University of Manitoba. Um, so I did a degree there in piano performance. At the end of that degree, I decided to move out to Toronto. Um, I was going to sort of pursue grad school, but that actually sort of fell through, which was actually for the best because at the same time I was starting my uh, wedding music business. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, right now, um, my kind of two main areas that I work a lot in are teaching piano and also playing for weddings and events. Um, I'm up to about a hundred a year now. So that's my weekend job. And then my week, weekday job, if you will, is, uh, is teaching. So, um, I've really, uh, enjoyed pursuing both of those sort of avenues. Um, and all of it's really been self-employed. I've had a few, um, sort of contracts here and there, and we'll get into that more, um, at different teaching studios where I, I taught, um, as I was getting experience. But my, my main thing is, is really, uh, playing piano and teaching piano. So. Nice, nice. We're talking today about really understanding your rights, um, you know, and understanding the terminology uh, between a um, an employee and a subcontracted uh, person. Now, before we get started, uh, there's a couple of disclaimers, and I and I want to shout out to you because you brought this up before we we started recording. So, first of all. You are not a lawyer or a tax accountant. <laughs> yeah, by no means. <laughs> um, but you have recently 
uh, been very invested in this uh, topic and you have sought out and paid for the services of lawyers and tax accountants to look into some of your contracts that have come your way. Yes, yes. And for those of you listening, um, Liz is in Ontario, and so some of the terminology and some of the information is going to be uh, geographically specific. So laws do vary from not just country to country, but even province to province here in Canada. But I think what we're having today is a really great conversation and bringing to light some key things that would apply to any musician anywhere. So just keep in mind, we are in Canada. These are Canadian laws we're talking about, specifically Ontario. And we highly recommend that you seek out your own professional support if it's needed. So as uh, as I mentioned, I've worked in a lot of different areas in music. Um, and even though I've been self-employed, I think a lot of us, even the ones that are self-employed, Primarily, we do sort of those side hustles, those gigs where um, we're, you know, have a contract for a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're always kind of, I think, artists as well. I think we could open it up to even artists as sure. in general, um, even not just musicians, but uh, people who sort of have this growth mindset of moving on to the next thing or, you know, we want to push ourselves to do something maybe different or to get a different perspective. Um, so as I, I've been doing this, um, and being hired by some different companies, um, I started looking into the contracts and the legalities um, because I found there was a lot of difference. There was a huge sort of gamut of different things that were being asked of me to do for various rates of pay and things like that. So I did, you're, you're correct that I did um, actually pay for an employment lawyer to look over a contract that I had. Um, of course, you can you can deduct this from your taxes in Canada uh, as well. So, and pretty much what I'm sharing today is is what I received from that sort of consultation about my own personal contract that I had. Um, but I think that this information is is really important to sort of just start the conversation mm-hmm. about um, maybe we should be looking a bit deeper into these kind of issues. Um, I find myself as a musician in the past, I've sort of just said yes to mm-hmm. things. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of us just sort of uh, are glad to have work and we're glad to have uh, recognition and we're glad to be part of something new. And we sort of just say yes. And we don't always fully understand the implications of, of what we're saying yes to mm-hmm. and how long that um, they have a hold over us or whatever. Um, basically, what I've discovered within the past maybe year mm-hmm. of, of some things to start looking into um, as, as a self-employed person, artist, musician. Thank you for clarifying all that. And, and I just wanted to chime in there. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think every musician has a, a war and peace-sized novel about all the performances, all the opportunities that they did for, I'm doing air quotes here, exposure. Right, exactly. We're yeah. all guilty of it. We've all been promised great things will come if we play at this event or sometimes the exposure sometimes there's promised exposure and we don't even necessarily see any fruit from that right right um playing for exposure is something uh, a lot of companies offer and it's really something we should all be just saying no to and then changing the narrative because um there's this just general societal idea of the starving artist Mm mm-hmm 
which I've really been pushing against my whole life. Even, even when I was in high school and telling my parents, I want to pursue this as a career, they're sort of like, well, maybe you should have a plan B. Mm. Maybe, you, sh- you know, like people think that, oh, that's not maybe the best for a secure life. Yep. Um, whereas it, it really can be um, not only fulfilling, but it can be financially secure as well. Um, Absolutely. If we just sort of stand up for <laughs> for our rights as we were going to get into. Thank you for saying that. Um, I have many friends, many colleagues who are financially successful and living very financially healthy lives, but they are incredible business people and they have the courage to say no or, yeah, like you said, bring a a different offer to the table. I know. I'm still learning as well. Um, My husband is really good at saying no Mm. and I'm not. (laughs) So he's helped me. Um, I will bring something to him and say, does this seem right? Or does this seem like something I should do? And he'll always help me kind of uh, figure it out. And he's he's helped me a lot, actually, kind of uh, become aware of all of these things. And uh, mm-hmm. just, just it's okay to sometimes say no. And it's okay to sometimes just let things go. Yeah. And, uh, and also, yeah, negotiate. Always being open to negotiating is... Uh, is something a lot of people do in other industries. It's just for some reason, musicians and artists, we like to just say yes and yeah. not even question sometimes. Right, right. Yeah. I love what you said about having your husband support you. Uh, you know, that, does, yeah. that is so lovely. And, and I love, um, you know, I think now with with Facebook groups and with, you know, mastermind groups, um, you, we do have this opportunity to talk to other professionals. It's far easier to contact other professionals than it was, I don't know, 10, 20 years ago. Like there's no That's reason right. why you can't bring your questions or your concerns to a, a group of your colleagues to, for feedback. Exactly. I think if you're really struggling with the courage to make decisions or to say no or to set your standards or boundaries, like talk to your talk to your friends. That's a very good point. And um, most most opportunities, they don't have maybe a timeline of you have to get back to us by you know tomorrow. Usually there's some time where you can think about it. If And I kind of made a list here before, before we started talking of um, things to bring up. And one of them was to trust your gut in instinct. So if, if you're getting an opportunity and your gut instinct is, I don't really want to do that, Mm -hmm. then just say no. And and that's what I've really started learning is trust your gut. Um, Mm -hmm. if your gut is telling you, I I would love to do that, but for twice the amount of money, (laughs) then say that, just say that, like trust your gut and take it to other professionals, other people that you trust Mm -hmm. and figure out how you want to move forward. Um, you always have the power to do that. I think I'm also learning that too. You always have that power. One of the best tips my my business coach uh, has given me is you never have to give them an answer right away. You can always say, you know, let me think about that. Exactly. That is so empowering because it is. It gives you that time to re- to regroup, to think, to plan things out, to crunch some numbers and or to talk to your friends about it or a business person about it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Let's let's dive into the the details that you have discovered um, and maybe some of the the fine details that people aren't really clear on. Right. Well, um, I guess the first and the main uh, sort of important point that I was um, given by these employment lawyers is when you're getting a contract for any type of employment, even if it's short term, long term, um, a few hours a week, full time, anything. Um, there is a distinction between being an independent contractor mm-hmm. or, or an employee. And 
many musicians and artists are given independent contractor contracts. So what that means is basically it's a fee for services. Um, I'm actually in the, in the middle of doing my taxes right now. And uh, at least in Canada, um, you'll most likely be given a T4A mm-hmm. at inbox 48. <laughs> it says sort of fee for services and that's the amount. Okay. Um, and there's no, there's no sort of uh, benefits. Um, there's no vacation pay, any of those extra benefits that employees would receive. There's no tax subsidy. So it's just sort of a straight, we'll hire you to do this for this amount. And that's what you get. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, and that's, that's all well and fine. There's nothing sort of better or worse about the two. It's just sort of understanding what they are. Right. Um, so, and there's a few um, criteria for if, if, you'll be hired as an independent contractor or as an an employee. Um, So I'll just go briefly through some of them. The first one that's probably the most important is the level of control of the organization. So if they're hiring you and they're telling you, you have to be here these days at these times doing this exact work, Mm -hmm. um, that's a little bit more of an employee situation. Mm. If they're telling you, you have, say, the month to complete this task or reach out to these people for this amount of money. That's a little bit more independent contractor. Okay. So it's a little bit more flexible in where you work, when you work and how you complete it. Um, We can all sort of picture what an employee is. Um, We're kind of picturing nine to five. It doesn't necessarily have to be nine to five, but it has to be sort of a structure given by the company. Right. And then also uh, with that sort of if the worker um, yourself provides your own equipment to do the work or if the company is giving you, say, a desk and equipment to do the work. Mm, Okay. That's that's another distinction. Um, I know myself as a wedding pianist. I've been an independent contractor with a few venues. So what that means is I bring in all my own equipment. I set up, um, they give me the clients and I reach out and do pretty much everything else my own, on myself, my, myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, if you are an independent contractor, you can hire your own subcontractors. Mm. Yes. So using the wedding music analogy, um, if I couldn't make it, I could actually find another pianist to come in in my place, use my equipment or use their equipment um, as long as it got done. Right. sort of thing. Um, whereas an employee, you usually can't subcontract that to someone else. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of financial risk and responsibility, so usually um, independent contractors can sort of, uh, well, they can definitely set their own rates. <laughs> That's another thing. They can say, well, I'll do the work for this much mm-hmm. um, and potentially uh, gain a profit. And if they help the company profit, you know, gain part of that. So there's a lot more, um, contr- again, control of where the money's coming from and how it's being divvied out. Mm-hmm. If you're an independent contractor, if you're an employee, usually there's a set salary, there's a set rate per hour or something like that. Um, and another point is exclusivity. So if you are providing the service to an entity and they tell you, you can only do this for us, that's oh, an employee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an, so that's an employee. Um, if, if you are providing that service to many different, um, companies. So for example, again, I'll use the wedding music analogy. It's a little bit uh, easy. So I could, you know, provide wedding music for this venue and then venue down the street and this church, and they don't really communicate. They don't care that I'm doing that. Mm -hmm. But if say one said, Oh, we want you to be exclusive with us. 
you're the, you can only do this for us that then they would have to employ me. That's interesting. I love all this information that you're giving people because I think this does apply to people who are maybe say they're teaching music lessons for a company. It definitely applies. I, I know in my earlier days, there were, there were places that, you know, say things like, well, you can't teach anywhere else. And it's like, well, you're only giving me a day a week. <laughs> That's a very good point, uh, Nikki. And I've had the same situation happen at a few of the teaching studios that I came up in. So mm -hmm. uh, when I was just getting experience sort of in high school and maybe early university, there was a few teaching studios that uh, did also say you have to be exclusive. Um, this is the rate per hour. I came in for certain days and times. I used their pianos and their equipment. Mm -hmm. um, so technically, I was their employee, but they were um, giving me an independent contractor contract. Right. Um, so this 100% applies to teaching studios. And actually, this is a bit of a word of warning as well for employers, perhaps uh, teachers out there who are listening who employ teachers mm -hmm. um, to make sure that they are you know, aware of these things, because if it is more towards an employee situation of, of what I've mentioned, um, technically the employees can claim that they aren't being treated as an employee, which means they may be given benefits and things like that, tax subsidies. Um, it also applies to the uh, CPP pension, right? Yep. Um, that does apply as well. So there is these things that, uh, can be given to employees and not independent contractors. So there, it is important that it's a clear distinction and that, um, you know, as employers, they're thinking about which way they want to go mm -hmm. um, and then being clear about that. So the independent contractor is sort of the easier thing to manage. Um, but if, if they go that route, then they do have to have, there's more flexibility there. The the teacher or their, their employee um, should be able to negotiate their rate. They should be able to negotiate their schedule as well. Um, perhaps, of course, maybe just logistically, it's easier to come into the studio and use the own equipment. That's fine. It, so it can be sort of a negotiation. It doesn't have to be all one or the other. It can sort of be come to as a mutual agreement. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that's completely fine. If, if the employee is, is happy... Yeah. That's the big thing. If the employee is happy, you'll be okay. So mm -hmm. it's it's important for employers to sort of check in and make sure that everything, you know, is sitting well mm -hmm. with the employee. Otherwise, you know, these things might escalate. And now for the My Music Staff Minute. Hi everyone, Katrina here, and today we're chatting about calls to action on your website. First, let's clarify what this means. A call to action, or CTA, is a piece of content that encourages the user to perform a certain task. It could persuade them to sign up for a newsletter or register for a trial lesson. The two main functions of a CTA is to tell the user what they should do and give them some sort of motivation as to why they should do it. Here's how to do this. First, consider having a sign up now button in the main menu. That way, no matter where the user is on your site, they'll have a way to contact you. Secondly, you want to have a couple of CTAs throughout your site. For example, if you have a page dedicated to your lesson programs, include a CTA that encourages the user to visit that page. It could be a button or link that says something like, learn about our lesson programs. To close the deal, 
you want a CTA that encourages the user to sign up for lessons. This could be a button to your online registration form that says something like, experience the benefits of lessons now. This tells the reader what to do and gives them some sort of motivation or urgency to act. Think about websites you visit. What kind of CTAs do they use and how do these influence the actions you take on these sites? Remember, the user may not know how to navigate your site, so don't be afraid to tell them. Start your 30-day free trial of My Music Staff today at www.mymusicstaff.com. Stay tuned for next week's tips and tricks on the My Music Staff Minute, exclusively on the Full Voice Podcast. The employee, otherwise, you know, these things might escalate. I have some colleagues there doing amazing things with their teaching studios and their, their teachers love working for them. And obviously they've, they've ironed out all these details. So um, it is possible. It does not have to go one way or the other. Right. It doesn't have to, and it doesn't have to be cold. I mean, it depends on the situation. Maybe, like I said, logistically one way or the other, you know, and you can say to um, the independent contractor can't just necessarily state any rate of pay and you have to pay them that amount. It's right. It's like, it should be a conversation. It should be a mutual agreement. Mm-hmm. And that's the big benefit of, of being an independent contractor is you should be flexible to negotiate these, uh, these terms. Mm-hmm. Whereas, um, if you are an employee of a company, um, sometimes you need a union to do that. That's another thing I've learned is the unionizing Mm-hmm. Part, part of it. We sometimes hear that people go on strike. Right. Um, you know, even at York University last year, there was a big strike. It that's affected right. you know a lot of people. Yes. Um, that's because they were employees. They, they had to unionize and mm-hmm. they had to strike in order to really affect change in their contracts. Whereas as an independent contractor, what the main difference is, is that each individual person has a, a contract with the company with entity and they can negotiate those things and it's it's an independent thing um what are ways that that uh, musicians teachers creatives uh self-employed people can protect themselves what what can we do so here's here's my list so first thing is don't just sign a contract or say yes without taking time and fully understanding everything it says in that contract Mm -hmm. which seems like a no-brainer it really it does people say oh don't sign something before you read it but, you know, people sometimes just sign, oh, yes, I want this opportunity. And they just sign and they don't really think about it or look at it mm-hmm. in detail. Don't necessarily assume someone hiring you has your best intentions in mind. It depends. You know, there's all kinds of situations you can get yourself into where, you know, they're just looking for someone cheap um, and they, you know, they're just trying to get someone with your skills. So just be careful. So further down that road is don't necessarily assume that the person hiring you is operating within the law. It's really scary how many, I think I've, I've run into about three companies that I've worked for in my time as a self-employed person that have not followed these guidelines. Mm. Um, either maybe, maybe it was through ignorance or it's wanting to save themselves sort of that extra cost and hassle of, of setting up as an employee. Right. right. Um, because it, it is a bit of an extra cost uh, and that it is a different sort of thing. So, again, just make sure you know what these distinctions are. And uh, sort of if anyone listening is in a situation where they're being treated like an employee, for example, they're being given rates of pay. They aren't able to set their own rates. 
they're not able to contract out their work. They have to be exclusive, all of those kind of things. Then technically you should be given those employee benefits and things like that. Mm-hmm. So there is a board, at least in, in Ontario, there's one in every province of Canada where you can actually file a claim mm-hmm. saying my employer is misclassifying me as an independent contractor. Okay, good to know. So there is a government body that the labor board that Mm -hmm. uh, monitors these things. And it doesn't matter how big or small the company is. It could be one employee. um, It could be hundreds of thousands. (laughs) So, um, you know, you can actually file a claim saying officially that you'd like this to be looked into. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a free process. It takes about 30 minutes just to fill in your information online. So that's, that's when it gets to the point of your employers, like unwilling to negotiate anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, maybe it's not working out the way you thought. Um, but yeah, first step is probably go to the employer and just talk about your concern. Hopefully that will settle itself. But if not, then there is other avenues you can explore, um, to a kind of official routes. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which gives the employee and self-employed person a lot more power than I previously thought we had. We do have power to, um, to put this forward, put this out there. If you are thinking something does seem unfair, um, feel free to talk about it with, you know, your Facebook group or your support network. Um, as I mentioned before, trusting your gut instinct, you know, if it seems too good to be true or if it seems something seems really bizarre, like, bring that forward to someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, here's some other thoughts. So making your own contract Mm -hmm. is another (laughs) big way. Um, so making sure you've thought about yourself. Okay. What, what do I feel I'm worth for each type of work that you do? So maybe you, maybe you compose, maybe Mm -hmm. you you should think about, sit down and think how much should I be getting paid for an hour of of composing or transcribing or, um, or teaching. Of course we think about this for teaching. Most of us, we set our rates, but maybe not for other types of work. Uh, Adjudicating. What am I worth per hour? Right. Um, I know a, a lot of music festivals, give you a rate per day uh we pay they still say we pay this amount per day um which really doesn't happen in any other industry like if say you went to a hairdresser and you said oh i pay 50 dollars for my haircuts <laughs> you know it's, it's it seems absurd think of any other any other job any other profession like if, you, if a plumber comes here oh i pay a hundred dollars for plumbing you know like that doesn't really <laughs> make sense in any, in any level. So right. have your, have your own fees or value that you feel comfortable with for each type of work that you do. Mm-hmm. Right. And try not to settle for anything less. That is great advice. It's so difficult. It's difficult. It really is. Yeah. I think we should check in with our fees on a regular basis. I think that's a good practice. And what, what I found, uh, if you have a sort of in your mind or even written down somewhere, your sort of minimum fee for each type of work that you do, mm-hmm. um, and then reevaluate that and raise it at least by the inflation amount, at least one or 2% a year. Right. And then if you get more experience, and especially if you have a wait list or, you know, there's a lot of demand, you can increase it faster. And I found that when you do that and when you actually have a higher rate than others, Mm -hmm. you actually attract a different type of client that's looking for a professional in that area. 
Excellent point. Thank you for saying that. We have discussed that on several podcasts. And, you know, I honestly believe we can't talk about that enough. When we undercut others, we are lowering our bar and we're not doing anyone a favor. It, mostly ourselves. Thank you for bringing that up. And, you know, it, it is hard to stick to it, especially if someone comes to you and they're, like you said before, a nonprofit or maybe someone who can't pay, but you know what? It's really better in the long run to then maybe refer them to maybe a student or someone who has a lower rate that's getting started. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't, don't lower your own expectations because then what's going to happen is it just, it'll snowball from there and people right. will know you as the type of person who will do that. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. And actually that's, a, that's a great way to, in a way, get your students started doing some of these types of things too. Sure. If they're getting older, if they're in high school, um, I've had pl- places where they say, Oh, we all, we're only going to pay $50, $100 for a night of entertainment. And I'll say, well, I can't do it for that, but I have a student who could play for an hour that would love to do that for that price. And sometimes they go for it. Sometimes they're looking for professional and, and, and educating the public sometimes as they come to you about how much music is worth, how much, you know, cause we've, worked our lives to be good at this skill you know I've seen lots of posts on on social media you know a plumber charges however much an hour but he took like 10,000 hours of apprenticeship or whatever mm-hmm. to be able to do that in an hour mm-hmm. you know and that's the same for us we can come to an event we can sight read we can play for an hour two hours three hours because we've practiced for 10,000 plus hours yeah of our life We've put lifetime, a lifetime of, of effort into our skills and we shouldn't just give it away. Yep. And so they're paying for that expertise and being able to do that in a polished way. Uh, that's what they're paying for. And when, when people see that, they, they do value it. So in a way, you have to value yourself before other people will. Yep, absolutely. Really, I would, that's probably one of the best um, ways you can protect yourself is really think about how much am I worth? How much would I feel really good about getting for these types of work? And the work will come. I know that's kind of maybe optimistic, but it is, it it will. If you're marketing yourself in the right way and to the right clientele that wants you for that service and they want to pay for it, actually, they want a professional um, it will come. It will. You're right. Everything you said, I love everything you've said. You set your standards, you will attract the right clients and the right students, um, and it will grow. And you will see more and more opportunities. There, You have to have faith in in you and what you do and and you've and you've got a support team, right? You got your colleagues and friends, and we we can we can not, not only support ourselves but each other too. And I mean, having said that, um, I'm sort of assuming that the person setting this high rate is a professional. So act, you know, act professionally, mm-hmm. be the best that you can, right? You you can't expect to set a really high rate and then not work for it too, right? So so. Back, you have to back that up. You have to, like, in a way, say, I'm worth this much because of this, mm-hmm. right? You can't sort of just, you know, put up a super high figure and way higher than everyone else and expect that people will go for it. So you have to sort of also know, you know, know your area, know mm-hmm. the industry. You have, to be, you have to be networking and talking to other people that are doing similar things and seeing, you know, what you can offer, 
that maybe they aren't or, you know, sort of placing yourself in a strategic spot mm-hmm. as well. I mean, there's lots of things that go into that. That's probably three or four more podca- podcasts in terms of marketing. And, oh, of course. And, of course. Uh, you know, um, but in terms of, yeah, just just protecting yourself and really, um, really understanding your own worth and not compromising on that. I think that's the big, that's the big thing. If I've got a listener right now who's listening to this, who's starting to feel a little uncomfortable because, you know, maybe they're in a situation where they, they, they're starting to realize that they, they're working for a company that say maybe misclassified them and they're not being treated the way they should be treated or paid the way they should be paid. What would be your first steps for them? So the first step is to talk to the employer or talk to someone in human resources um, or, you know, your contact person and bring, bring forward your concerns. There's, there's nothing wrong with bringing forward your concerns. Um, And especially if you have something to back it up, like I talked to so-and-so and I, I've researched a little bit about the industry and these few things don't really jive or, you know, sort of having some done some research and, backed up your statements and talk to the employer. And then if it's a situation where, you know, the employer is not really respecting the employees, which does happen, which does happen. um, Unfortunately, that's where you can escalate it to filing that claim with the Ontario Labor Board. Mm -hmm. Basically, um, no matter where you are, you can Google your area and labor board or you know, Ministry of Labor or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, where you are. And it should be fairly easy to find a claim form or some way to contact them right. and say what's what has happened, what's the infraction. Um, it could also be, unfortunately, this does happen, people don't get paid at all. I, I was actually in a situation with a company that went under, they went bankrupt, and I was teaching for them. Mm-hmm. And even though I was promised paychecks in the mail for my last few months, uh, I never received them. Oh. So this, this was uh, this was actually in Manitoba. Okay. So I, I did. I went to. I I did some research. I contacted the Manitoba Labor Board, um, and they will look into it very thoroughly. So especially if it's um, a case of not being paid enough, or being paid the wrong amount, or you know not being paid for overtime. There's, there's a list of about 30 things that you can claim. Wow. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. Yeah. Anything. And it can be for employees and anyone, um, artists, self-employed, you just have to sort of, uh, keep track of, you know, having a calendar is good. Keeping track of the days you've worked, having good records, having good records is really important for all of this, just because they need kind of proof dates, times, contracts, those kind of things those government bodies, that's their whole job is to look into um, infractions of, of the Employment Standards Act because yes. they're policing employers that aren't towing the line. So um, what happened in that case was uh, they actually tracked down the old owner mm-hmm. of the business, mm-hmm. garner his paychecks uh, in order to pay me. Oh, wow. Yep. They'll do, they'll do that. Um, so they had to sort of find him <laughs> um, because he was, he was skirting the law in a very various ways. There is ways that you can make it right. Thank you so much for sharing that information. Um, I know many uh, colleagues that have have uh, been working at a at a school or a center who have had that happen to them, and I don't know whether they exercised their rights to to look into that. So that's a great tip. Thank you very much. 
There is always ways. I mean, and even if it escalates even further, I mean, you could always go to the police if it's really gotten bad. Um, you know, if they're threatening you or something, um, there's, there's always ways you can report things that are happening. I think a lot of people, uh, just think that they're at the end of the road and they can't do anything else. Um, but there, that's why these, uh, these government bodies exist actually is to help people who otherwise wouldn't have that help. So individuals, right. Not the big companies. So we see big companies sometimes as like impenetrable. Right. But, uh, but we can always report them. And, uh, another thought about, uh, not getting paid, mm. even if you say it, it doesn't work out, you actually will never see that money for whatever reason. You can also claim that on your taxes as a bad debt if you weren't paid. Oh, yes. Thank you. Yes. A really good tip is to just track everything. So either have like a Google Calendar or an Excel sheet or any software that you're using to just track like, I've done this work. I should have been paid this much. I'm waiting for it. Just every, all the details, if you can keep those emails, keep all of that information, especially if you are going to report it because they will want the hard facts and they will want as much information about it as possible. Um, So if you've not kept track of the hours that you worked or don't have documentation, it might be harder to do that. But um, keeping track is really, really good. That is great advice. Great advice. Well, Liz, thank you so much. This has been a very informative, very empowering conversation. Uh, I'm going to put links, as I always do, on our podcast page. Um, Liz wrote a wonderful article uh, locally in our Registered Music Association magazine, but congratulations, it's going to the Canadian magazine as well. Fantastic. Um, I'm going to put links to both of those magazines, and I'm going to... Can I link to the article? Yes, definitely. Wonderful. Wonderful job in doing that, and I will put links to the article for you. Thank you. Um, thank you so much, Liz. I, I'm really glad you could be here today. Thanks so much for having me. A special thank you to Liz for sharing that very important information today. You can find a link to her article from the Notes magazine in our show notes and on our podcast page. A big thanks to the wonderful people at My Music Staff for their weekly business tips. And a huge thank you to you, my listener. Do not hesitate to connect with me on our socials. You can find me at Instagram at The Full Voice. And whatever you do, don't forget to visit our website for free sample lessons, fun teacher freebies, and oodles of resources for the private voice teacher. As always, I am wishing you inspired teaching and happy singing. Thank you for listening to the Full Voice Podcast. For more information and teacher resources, please visit our website at thefullvoice.com. Made my canoe music. Canoe music.ca.